Googs House. We are the champions of the Independence Bowl. We are the champions of the Independence Bowl. We are the champions. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you, you have a chance to hate again, stop by. Please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can get the podcast in your feed each and every day. We appreciate you making us your first listen of the day. Welcome to the YouTube channel. And if that's where you found us today, yes, this is a little bit different scenery. This is my childhood bedroom that I'm recording in. Home for the holidays. Got to get a show in there to talk about the Independence Bowl victory. Uh, remember, at 250 subscribers, and we are almost there, we're going to be giving away a Marcus Sasser t-shirt from that Etsy artist we had on a couple weeks ago. At this point, named Luis, you can go back out and check out that episode if you want to see more about what I'm talking about. And to be entered when the contest, got to get us up to 250 subscribers. Make sure you hit subscribe down below, and then comment on the episode and tell us something about what you think. Uh, if you can't think of anything about the Independence Bowl, then like strike your fancy if you like commenting. Make sure you tell us what your favorite thing to eat over the holidays is. Now, today's episode is going to be all focused on the Independence Bowl. The Independence Bowl technically did happen Friday, kind of a holiday weekend, so it's been a few days. But we're going to talk more about uh, Dana's offense, kind of some recaps of the game, talk a little bit about questions I've got in the running game as far as what Houston's doing. And then in a third segment, we'll kind of wrap up with more about, honestly, a look at like how some legacies will be left after the season because uh, the bowl game obviously does wrap up the season. We'll kind of see what things will look like moving forward for Holgerson, the Cougs, et cetera. Uh, if we're going to recap the game, I think we first need to start off with that Clayton Tune had a great performance. Through 19 at for 28 with 224 yards, three touchdowns, also had 11 carries, 55 yards, uh, was MVP of the Independence Bowl, an illustrious award, right? MVP of the Independence Bowl. But on a more real note, he really did play very, very well in the game. And frankly, uh, after about middle of second quarter on, I'd argue played very, like, immaculately, right? It was really a whole bunch different kind of offense after mid-second quarter. Uh, the defense stepped up around that same time in the second quarter. Uh, we, you know, had two rough drives, kind of start the game as a defense, but in the second half uh, held them once they got 16 to no points after about that middle second quarter point on. Um, big, big, you know, momentum shifting turnovers in the fourth quarter as well. Um, honestly, there was like an awful punt with about eight minutes and three seconds left. Uh, the play starts get about eight minute mark of the second quarter. Uh, after that, Houston only allowed a field goal. Uh, offense doesn't have to punt again until the late fourth quarter. So it kind of felt like a big shift. It was like, oh, crap, like a wake-up call of sorts. Um, to be fair, if that short punt did give up a short field, Houston then held them to a field goal. Um, I think that kind of was like the spark of like, okay, we can, we can turn this thing around. Um, if I'm taking away like things that um, – that I, I'm taking away for the, the Independence Bowl itself. Um, obviously, we'll talk more about Tank Dell at the end in our like legacy segment of sorts. Um, but he was clutch yet again in this game. He had two big touchdowns in the second half. Um, and admittedly, uh, his his presence probably opened up the touchdown and happened in the first half. But I have to say that there's all this talk about the last play, last offensive play of the game where uh, – Tune since Tank Dell in motion, quarterback Clayton Tune since Tank Dell in motion across the field. And like they clearly make some sort of a head nod or whatever. And there's an audible of the route happening in that instance to where it's like, hey, we're going to get you on a little short isolate. Instead of running, I guess it was supposed to be a deep corner route. They're going to run more of a short end 
isolation kind of thing um, and like a little stick out route. And he gets his foot in the ground and gets a feel for a touchdown to win the game. Um, huge, huge game from Tank. And again, like playing through the elements, catch the football on that is not easy. It was 20 degrees at kickoff. Um, <laughs> that is cold to say the least. It was reported as the second coldest kickoff in university football history for an outdoor game. I think that's relatively uh, in, in, like think about like where football was the previous kickoff uh, was a 18 degree game in uh, the cotton bowl sometime before I was alive, right? Football is a little bit different then as opposed to now you're seeing them throw the ball over the field and like the weather obviously does play a big, big factor. I also would point out that it was 20 degrees at the start of the game. And by the end of the game, the sun is setting and it's much, much colder. Um, other things to take away from this game is kind of um, something I took away from the entire season was that in a positive sense, this football team never, ever quit, right? It was a very resilient team that played through ups and downs, a bunch of one-score games. By my count, there were eight one-score games on the season. Um, and frankly, to have a winning record, to be eight and five on the season after eight one-score games happen is impressive in and of itself. Um, the other way to take that is, to, uh, as Dana pointed out afterwards, uh, Dana, uh, head coach Dana Helgerson said he had a headache in the post-game press conference um, because of the way the season had gone and that, like kind of just like to survive the thing and to finish on a high note was nice. Um, I think there's plenty to be said about enough people having headaches. I don't think Dana is the only person to have one. Uh, I would say you and I have probably both had one at home watching as well. There's some head scratching moments for sure. But on the season, of course, I, I guess in my you know predictions, I didn't necessarily predict it and I should have because leading up to this, if Houston has only played in single score games the entire year, why would this have been anything different? Um, scoring the touchdown to win the game, I guess, with what was it about? Oh, if I'm pulling this up. Uh, 20 seconds left to go. Um, I, obviously, that's like, I, I want to make sure you get exactly right. Uh, 19 seconds go when uh, we score it at the end of the game. Um, that's that's pretty nail-biting, to say the least. I don't know how much, I guess, the Memphis game probably came down to even closer to the buzzer, right? But outside of that, it's hard to think of a, a uh, more emblematic way to finish the season for Houston. Um, I have to say that, like, I was encouraged by a defense stepping up after the mid-second quarter spot. Uh, we give coach, assistant coach Doug Bell, the defensive coordinator, a hard time um, for how great his defense was a year ago to then turn around and have this kind of an egg defense this season. Um show that once you get a couple turnovers go your way things can bounce back a little bit differently and i think that that's not necessarily a job there are people like calling for his job at various points of the season i don't think that's really really fair um he he's a young outstanding defensive coordinator he finds kids in the greater houston area to come to houston uh, some of the talent is obviously coming because they want to play with uh, coach doug belk and also like he had this, this say, he's the same guy that it was there a year ago. Progress, progress is not always linear, right? Um, he lost a couple corners to the NFL. Uh, Marcus Peter, uh, Marcus Jones just had another big interception for New England, a pick six over the weekend for New England off Joe Burrow, right? Like he lost some pretty great talent to go from that 12 and two team to the eight and five team he's got this season. I think that it's worth pointing out that maybe he just needs some more of that defensive talent. And in moving the Big 12, it looks like we're going to get some of that. So I think that that's fair to like give him more time. But if you have a job that you need to fill and you don't necessarily think it's worth giving up more time, let's talk a little bit about how to do it with LinkedIn jobs. Now, LinkedIn jobs is somewhere you go because every new hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100 percent certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs is where you find the right people for your team 
faster and for free. And I'm going to tell you for another year that I think Doug Belk is one of those guys that's the right guy for the team. Once you add your job, you can add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free. LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Um, so in looking at this game, I, I want to give an entire segment to the biggest question I had about this game. And I have to say that I still don't know or don't understand the rationale between some of the running back moves, right? Um, I'm not saying that they're homogenous or that all of their running backs look the same, but in a game that I felt like the weather was dictating Houston runs the ball more, I don't know. Tell me in the comments below if you thought they should run the ball less, but I certainly think that Houston should run the ball more. And I didn't feel like I quite understood who got to, get the call or get the totes when obviously Tajon Henry being back. He is the senior starter. He came in, he had the most carries he had 12 carries for just 37 yards. Admittedly, I felt like when he came in the game, they kind of knew what he was doing. And some of those yards he had were like, he gets hit three yards behind the line of scrimmage and turns it into a zero or a one yard gain, or even just a one yard loss, as opposed to a three or four yard loss. Um, especially it felt like when they're pulling to the left side, um, not throw out too many of the linemen under the bus, but I, I think, frankly, some of the returning offensive linemen are very strong. Um, it was just interesting to see, like, clearly the defense of Louisiana was able to help, you know, bolster their their, their defense's right side. And I, I don't know what it was about not being quite get off the edge to the left. Um, but he got the bulk of the carries at 12. He also was on the field as the running back at the start of possessions and drives. There's one drive in the uh, – was it? That's my notes here – uh, I have it in the second half, third quarter specifically, when Houston's driving on to eventually score. Um, they start to drive off with Tejon Henry in the backfield. It's admittedly a long drive. Somewhere along the line, uh, they put in uh, Brandon Campbell, and Brandon Campbell gets a carrier two, and then shortly thereafter, they put in Stacey Sneed. Stacey Sneed gets a carrier two, and then they come back to Tejon Henry by the end. And ad admittedly, um, I don't – I'm not a Division One college football coach, so maybe someone out there that is can correct me on what I'm seeing wrong here. But I don't actually get why a um, Tejon's the first guy. I I guess maybe in the game, but if he starts to drive, to me he should end the drive. And if he can't start the drive, maybe he shouldn't, or maybe he can't end the drive, maybe he shouldn't start the drive. And I don't know. It wasn't long enough drive to me where he like gets worn out. He wasn't getting 50 carries. He ended with just 12, right? Um, so Tejon comes in. He's all 5'7", 180 pounds. So I'm not sure he's in there to do a whole lot of pass blocking. And maybe that's admittedly why you go to someone a little bit stouter, right? 5'10", 210-pound Brandon Campbell. Maybe that's kind of your thought there. I don't know. But then to go to Stacey Sneed, 5'11", 185, it's not like you're putting another bowling ball back there. But it's also not quite like statistically you're putting something a whole lot different out there either. Um I just I don't get the rotation there. And over the course of the game, I just I didn't understand which running back was in the game when or what skill set was being sought after at what point, because I think of Stacey Sneed as being a little bit more of the quick guy. But on some of the quick times we saw Tajon Henry back out there, I bluntly thought that Brandon Campbell was more of the short yardage guy. But Tajon Henry seemed to be the guy that got the short yardage kind of things, 
not Brandon Campbell. Brandon Campbell at some point got in coaches doghouse to say the least um, this season. I think there's a fumble. If I'm remembering right, it was the Navy game where it was like Houston was driving, 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 kind of turning momentum around. Brandon Campbell fumbled. We didn't see him again, right? Uh, we saw Stacey Seed come in that game and have like five carries for 100 yards. It was a big speedster kind of day. It's kind of what he sticks out in my mind as a speedster guy. Um, but they don't, don't seem to continually use him as that either. And so if I'm coming across here and looking at like what's going on there, on the whole, Houston had a decent day running the football, especially when you factor in that Louisiana knows it's a day where every team wants to run the football. 38 carries for 139 yards. Um, on the whole, that's not that bad, especially when you look at like yards per carry kinds of things. They had one long run of 33 yards. That was actually Clayton Toon that got that one. Kind of a little bit more of a scramble. Um, and frankly, we'll get to more of the rushing stuff in a second, um, but I think Toon should have run the ball more all year. I... <laughs> If you're not going to run tune as much as I think you should, then you need to have some way to get the ball on the ground, especially in this game. And then I wasn't understanding at what was going on when they would run, you know, inside off tackle plays, uh, not necessarily your traditional power sets, but inside off tackle kind of plays for all three backs that have somewhat different skill sets. And I wasn't able to pick up on like a spot in the field or a spot in the game or spots in down and distance that made that rotation make any sense. Um, I'm admittedly, like I said, I, I'm asking questions that I wish I could ask Dana myself. Dana, if you're hearing this, shout me out. Let's go talk about it. Um, next season, Houston will graduate Tajon Henry, right? Uh, Houston will graduate Clayton Toon. Uh, and power to them. I should point out that they are both graduates and like power to them for that. Get your degree, go do something fun. I think they may both get a chance to play football. I know that it's, I think Clayton Toons projected like a six, six, seventh round, maybe an undrafted guy in the NFL. I imagine Tejon, if he doesn't get an NFL camp call, probably tries to do the Canada or USFL type of thing. He's a very like, he's a good running back. Someone's going to give him a call. Um, he, he Again, he turns the negative plays into even plays, and that's something every team wants in the backfield. But next season, with those two gone, in the running back room on its own, you're going to bring back Stacy Sneed and Brandon Campbell. They are both freshmen this season. Uh, you're going to bring, bring back Alton McCaskill, and Alton was a sophomore that might have gotten a starting job this season, except that he tore his ACL before the season started. Right. And so you think that if he is back to 90% of himself, he was supposed to start a year ago. What's that going to do? You're also two of your better ranked recruits coming in are Parker Jenkins of Klein Forest and Rashawn Sanford of Harker Heights, Houstonians own. That's five running backs that you've got to find someone to split carries of next season. So I see this issue in the bowl game and I see it kind of over the entire season. But when the bowl game, we get Tajon Henry back and I'm like, okay, well, like, how is this going to play out? Over the course of the season, I didn't really understand it either. And so now after the season, like, huh, in the bowl game, we couldn't figure it out. We're adding more running backs to the room next year. And I'm the guy that wanted Clayton Tuner in the ball more. If they're bringing in transfer quarterback uh, Donovan Smith from Texas Tech, they're going to have to run the quarterback more. That it, Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to have him out there, right? And so whether it's Coley or Smith, either one, I imagine you see Donovan Smith out there running. He's an elusive, elusive runner. If you have not watched the highlights once this episode's over, Go pull it up on YouTube. Watch him run the ball. He runs over linebackers, away from defensive linemen, and has breakaway speed from safeties. He is a special runner of the football. And frankly, he only played one year of high school quarterback because at Bishop Gorman in Nevada, yes, that Bishop Gorman, he was out there running as a wideout 
pass safeties, pass DBs, over the middle, across the front face of linebackers. And that kind of, I mean, he is a strong, strong runner of the football. Um, so with all of that going on in the running game, I don't know how you get the carries evenly distributed for next season. And I don't guess that matters. I'm not saying it has to be a peewee football. I the same amount of touches and da, da, da. But it does need to have some sort of rhyme or reason to it. Like, I don't get why Stacey Sneed gets the nod here versus Brandon Campbell there versus next year. Like, how does Parker Jenkins fit in? Right. How does Rashawn Sanford fit in? Right. Those are both a little bit bigger guys, a little bit different type of back as well. And I don't understand how we're using the guys we've got. So I don't know how to project how we use the guys we bring in. And then we're going to factor in the fact that we add in the factor that we're going to have to use this running quarterback effectively off of stuff. So as I left the Independence Bowl, while I was excited that they won and kudos to them for winning and toughing one out, I also had this like lingering question going into next season. Like we're playing Big 12 defenses. We're playing Big 12 defensive linemen. We're playing Big 12 uh, coaches and schemes and coaching staffs and so on. And in our first season, we're going to have a relatively young running back room. Again, I assume that McCaskill gets a red shirt. So he'll be a red shirt sophomore and then two sophomores in Sneed and Campbell and then two freshmen and Parker Jenkins and Rashawn Sanford. And I'm like, wait a second, what are we going to do here with those guys? I mean, it's a very, very young room and the world of transfers, we, the transfer portal, we kind of have to keep everyone at least happy enough to stick around. At least the ones that are good enough to play to stick around. Right. Um, and some of the running plays will go to the quarterback. So unless we're going to turn into, you know, knock on wood, I don't think I want to see it, but unless we turn into that idea of a triple option type team, I don't know how we keep everyone happy on that. And I don't know how we choose who does what when. Because admittedly, like, I kind of got sitting Brandon Campbell for the series after he fumbled in the Navy game a few weeks ago. I guess it's been two months ago at this point. Um, I don't necessarily understand how he just sunk to the Jeb chart until the bowl game, apparently. Um, and I, I don't understand what he did to earn that spot back. I don't understand how he's tangibly different than Tayshon Henry in short yardage situations. Not that Tayshon's bad. I just think they're both relatively on the same footing. Um, and so that's that's where we were. Um, I say that to say that if you have some insight on this, please let me know. Uh, I am looking for some sort of understanding as to what Dana Holgerson is doing as he's substituting the running backs through there. Um, and frankly, if I can figure that out before next football season, I'll feel much more comfortable about heading into the season. Speaking of things to be comfortable about, um, did you know that driving high is still considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high can get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell, everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. The bottom line is if you feel different, you drive different and driving high is driving an influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI paid for by the NHTSA. All right. So in our final segment here, we're going to try and pick it up a little bit because that running back segment got me kind of as a downer. We talk about three legacies that break this game and kind of where they leave afterwards. Obviously, we're going to talk some about Clayton Toon, talk some about Tank Dell, and talk some about Dana Holgerson and his impact at the U of H himself. Um, so in starting with Clayton Toon, um, because I make sure I give him his fair shine, I haven't talked about him nearly enough this episode. He is one of three quarterbacks in University Houston history to throw for over 10,000 yards in a career. Tip of the cup. 
Um, I'd argue that he's probably one of the five best quarterbacks to play at University of Houston. I like Greg Third Ward. Um, you know, I, and then people always me Paul it Andre Ware. I I say that because I that's kind of before my time. I'm going legacy there. There might be other people from before my time. And if you think of one, I guess you can throw them in the comments. But I think of him as one of the five best quarterbacks I've seen play at the University of Houston. Um, obviously, with uh, Case Keenum and Kevin Call being up there fairly high, I actually might have Ward ahead Keenum in, in my own personal list. But that's more of an aesthetics thing as far as how I like watching guys play the position, I think. Um, 20 wins in his final two years as a starter, eight wins this season alone, or eight games this season alone, I should say, came down to one-score games, and that is always a big indicator of good quarterback play. If you can kind of tough those ones out, keeping you competitive in those games. Several of those games came down to putting plays on his shoulders, and he was able to do it. Um, so shout-out to him for that. In this season, as it stands, he had 4,069 yards, Nice. He had 40 touchdowns at just 10 interceptions and a rate quarterback rating of over 75. He had 67.9% completion percentage uh, on the season. That's really, really strong, uh, really, really strong. And I have to say that uh, as a whole, he's, you know, the kind of guy that he might get, you know, dinged because he's just six foot three or he's, you know, he might run a four eight when people want a four six and change or whatever in the forty time and that kind of stuff. But he's a very versatile runner. He's a talented quarterback, and frankly, I think he's at least an NFL backup quarterback looking forward. And I don't say that because um, I, I don't have to say any of that. Right? I could say, oh, he had a great career, great job. I'll go, you know, go to business school or something. I just think that he's kind of got that like good in the locker room. He's you know he's very bland in press conferences a lot of the time. So he's not like gonna go out there and throw people under the bus if someone asks him about stuff in an NFL locker room. Um he's solid, he's efficient. Uh, and frankly, he he dealt with Dana. <laughs> right. I mean in, in the best way possible, right? Like he will have NFL coaches that are characters in the NFL and he he kind of weathered the storm of four of five years with a character that is, I guess, for them with Dana. Um and I think that his play at the end of the game on set on Friday kind of indicates like what you're looking for with him at the pros, right? He has this great relationship with the receiver. He sends him in motion just to talk to him for a second at the, at the line of scrimmage, gives him a little head nod. They understand what they're doing. He audibles into a game winning touchdown pass, right? That is the kind of thing that pros do. I think we used to that watching big time football. I, I say big time, the Texans might not feel big time all the time, but you, you get used to that watching pro football where they make the, the this, that, or we always say, you know, Dak does the kill, kill, Peyton always did the Omaha or whatever. But like you have to be able to do those kinds of things to play pro quarterback. And Clayton Toon very clearly can. So I think that's really important to take away from him. Um, I'm excited to see what does come next from him in the post game presser uh, when asked about potentially being the mayor of Houston one day, <laughs> uh, Dana said he'll be playing football for a little while longer. I think indications are that people kind of assume that something's coming for Clayton. I just, I can't wait to see it. Um, the perhaps more exciting guy, just as far as like thrills and and swag and all that kind of stuff was Tank Dell. I was saying Nathaniel Tank Dell um, did come out of the season. I believe he, if my indications here are correct, uh, led the NCAA in touchdowns and in uh, yards. Uh, I don't know if he led it in touchdown if he let it in total catches, um, but almost 1,400 yards, 1,398 yards on the season, 17 touchdowns on the season. He's averaging 12.8 yards a catch. That means you throw it to him, you get a first down, right? That's pretty, pretty impressive. 
was his second straight 1,300-yard season, his second straight double-digit touchdown seasons. Um, I Again, I, I think he's the kind of guy that is going to be on an NFL roster someday uh, in the very, very near future. If you're looking at like slights on him, I guess, from the NFL perspective, he's 5'10", 165. But I would counter that with the toughness we saw. I mean, he's, his name is Nathaniel Dell. He goes by Tank because that's how he carries himself. Um, he he had the hip against, I believe, it was Memphis, right? And he finished that game, and frankly, it was very instrumental in the best you know comeback that might have sparked a turnaround the season, saved everyone's jobs, right? Um, he played through a very serious hip injury in that game, and then basically had to take off the next two weeks because they had a bye week, thankfully, and like heal himself. He but he played through that that night. He also had other injuries in like the SMU games. He had an ankle here and a, a shoulder there. And the, he played through all that to play the game. And then in the bowl game, he's on the field to every snap in 20 degrees and less cold as a wide receiver. We saw the night before uh, Baylor played Air Force, and no receiver won any part of that game. Tank Dell wants every part of all of these games, right? That's a whole, whole different kind of mindset a kid has to have, um, especially like in the bowl game. You saw he on an overthrow uh, – he might have gotten held by the DB, so it might not have been overthrow. had not gotten held. But then he falls in the end zone, slides into the field goal post, right? Bounces up next thing. It's like 12 degrees outside. There's no way any other person just like bounces up like that. And he walks off, plays next play, ends up scoring two touchdowns later in that game, right? Like that's a toughness out of Tank Dell that I think translates very, very well for a 5'10 guy to the next level. I think the big thing for him will be like, is his 40 time in the low 4-3 range or is his 40 time in the low 4-4 range? If he's in the low 4-3 range, I think we're talking about a Deshaun Jackson look like. And, and, and I just I just think that they'll play in a similar swag, play with a similar speed, um, and be that kind of guy that can take over from the slot right away. Um, if he's in the 4-4 range, I imagine he probably gets drafted later, and that probably means that someone is getting the same kind of chance. And no, da, 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 da. I'm telling you, if you're an NFL GM watching this, A, welcome, and B, draft Tank Dell. You won't regret it. He's a he's a talented, talented wideout. Houston's got a few pro wideouts that aren't draft eligible yet, but Tank Dell tops the list for sure. Uh, third and last, if we're looking at like legacies from this game, um, Dana Holgerson is the head coach, and so the program obviously like we'll talk about him all of the time. Um, first of all, I should say that like as a guy that appreciates what Mike Leach brought to college football over the course of his life, I appreciate that Dana and the guys did the uh, they wore the Mississippi State sweatshirts. When admittedly they probably wanted to wear more layers <laughs> uh, on on the on the sideline on Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, and um, that was a cool homage. Uh, you know. Dana was a little bit emotional after the game as well, um, as emotional as Dana is, I should say. But that that was not just a mentor. That was his literal coach that he rec- – Leach recruited him to Iowa Wesleyan when he was a high school kid trying to play receiver somewhere. Iowa Wesleyan was a nowhere school that turned into a Division three powerhouse there for a hot minute. Um, he coached with Leach at Valdosta State with Al Mummy and those guys starting off the air raid. And they really – like again, they changed college football forever. And um, that's an impactful thing. And I appreciate that they uh, were quick to pay attention to that kind of history, even as someone wearing a sweatshirt on the sideline. Right. Um, I, ha- I think I, the other thing I have to say here about Dana is like, we think about players making plays on the stretch of one score games. And I was plenty critical. And you guys heard the show at this point. I was plenty critical of Dana all year long. Um, but at some point playing in a eight, one score games in a 13 game season while you could argue about how you got to those one score games and that could be part of the deal with your coach in the first place as well. Um, 
winning as many as they did, it takes doing something right. And whether that's, you know, coaching resiliency or coaching toughness or whatever, like something's going right on that side of the field. And I don't think that, I think it's fairly easy to take that for granted, right? To be like, oh, we shouldn't have been that one in the first place. But we got there and they pulled it out, right? And I think that's important to note. Yes, Tulane was disappointing, but Tulane ended up doing pretty well that season, right? Where we all like worried about, oh my God, we barely beat UTSA. Yeah, UTSA ended up being pretty well, right? Uh, they're pretty good. Um, and, and so I think those kinds of things I think are worth are worth noting. I mean, Houston struggled with Rice, I, I guess, but Rice ended up finishing with a fairly strong season for Rice. Um, is it a Big 12 opponent? No, but like they ended up finishing fairly strong. Um, I... I wonder after watching this game from Dana, where he puts a lot of it on Clayton Toon for next for the end of the season, right? He said, "Hey, Toon caught a lot of the plays. Toon caught a lot of the audibles. He calls on number on a couple of those runs, right? I mean, those kinds of things." Dana was very quick to point out were Clayton Toon. So, when looking at the legacy of, of Dana after that game, it's like, well, how does he do with someone that needs a fresh start, right? Um, because he obviously built up Clayton Toon; they had a great relationship together. But in looking at like next season. Donovan Smith may be the guy. Maybe it's Luke Coley, right? Um, maybe it's someone else that we don't have the roster yet. Um, transfer portal still open, right? But that's a brand new relationship with uh, Donovan Smith, or a still very early relationship with Coley. And the offense bluntly has to look different. So how does he adjust what he does while also fostering and building a relationship with a new kid moving forward, taking the snaps? Because that, I guess, technically, there wasn't, you know, panel who you read Dana was or wasn't calling the plays all season certainly did it down the stretch of the season it felt like um but that relationship with an offensive minded head coach and the quarterback of an offense like this especially is so so important so how does that look moving forward for Dana and how does it adjust to a guy who's you know one of his greatest weapons and I don't mean to say Donovan Smith can't throw but one of his greatest weapons is his legs is that threat that the defense has to account for that opens up other stuff passing right um but how does Dana adjust to that because Donovan Smith has shown and Coley has shown that they're not going to stay put they're both transfer kids right a Coley a year ago and Smith a week ago right so it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward to Dana and I think I got the impression he can build that relationship but I don't necessarily know how I feel about him changing things offensively. I guess we'll see more of that as it comes. Uh, if you've got, you know, anything, anything to talk about the Cougs, you have ideas of how it could change, you can hit me up at Painsworth512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram and all your social media handles. I'll be able to talk all things Cougs. We're moving into purely basketball seasons. We can talk about Cougs basketball starting conference play I guess as you're listening to this later this week, um, we can talk about the Rockets, the Astros, and Glory, and all those kind of things, and the Texans and who they'll draft or whatever you want to talk about. So make sure you find me at Painsworth five one two P A I N S W O R T H five one two to talk all things Houston sports. If you're looking for a second listen of the day, I'm going to recommend what Jackson Gatlin them got going on over at Locked On Rockets. An exciting game over the weekend against the Mavs. Um, wish it come out a little bit different uh, because. Even in a tanking season, I do like beating those guys. But as a way cookie crumbles, sometimes Luca just gets 50. Go listen to them over on Locked on Rockets. Thank you all so much for tuning in the show. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your inbox each and every day. Locked on Kooks is a proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day.